is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here, however we find ourselves this morning in this room, believing, not believing, trying to believe again, trying on all of this again, anxious, um, depressed, excited, optimistic, pessimistic, cynical, however we walk in here today. Help us to believe that you have created this moment and that you have something you want us to hear, to trust, to surrender to. And help us to believe that you see us in all of our contradictions, in all of our complexity, and your response is always to pursue us in love, to restore, to renew, and heal. Give us grace today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I have one kidney. Do I have your attention? I have one kidney. Everybody has one of those things, right? Something. That when the game is being played of like, you try to guess one thing about me that you know is not true. You've got this trump card you want it to play. Mine is that one. I've got one kidney. And it always has the same impact. People go, what? Well, firstly, they go, how do you even know? I think I have two. You know? Is that where they are? Somewhere. Is that, you know. But it always creates that kind of a moment of like, what? Did you just say? And I want you to know that when John proclaims the word became flesh, you have a very similar moment. We are so used to this word, this, this statement, if you've been around Christianity, some of the New Testament. But for those original hearers to hear John say the word became flesh, it was like 
it was like a needle going across a record. It was like, and everybody has to stop and go, now what do you mean by that? So much going on in that. The Word became flesh. I mean, one thing that's astonishing is the Word became flesh because of who the Word became flesh in. I'm going to quote Carlos Rodriguez right now. I'm giving Jason the heads up. Um, that He says, God chose brown flesh, covered himself in the glory of the marginalized and the poor, dressed fully as the naked and the broken, united in the dust with the rejected and the dirty. God abandoned his throne for the sake of the throneless. Jesus, Advent incarnation. I mean, what would have made it astonishing, first off, is just that. But you have to know a little bit more about what this word, word, means in this sentence. It's a little bit frustrating for us to read that, like the word became flesh. That word is the word logos. Think of it as the word that people were using in ancient times to try to figure out what makes the world cohere. What is the logic of the universe? What is the wisdom out there? Is it What idea might, might be the logos, the unifying principle? And what John comes along and says is, that logos that you're searching for and everything else you're searching for, that one thing, that one piece of logic and wisdom that holds the whole world together, it became flesh. It became flesh. That Jesus is the Logos you are looking for. It's not a book. It's not an idea. It's a person. And that's really important. The Word became flesh, not a book. Listen, we love the Scriptures in this church. The Bible is the Word of God, lowercase w, that bears witness to the Word of God, capital W. Kind of like John the Baptist. If you noticed in that thing, it was like John's job was to shine the light on Jesus. The Baptist, that is, in this, in this what we read. And that is exactly the role Scripture plays. It is inspired in that it is a reliable guide that points us to Jesus. That's why I love the Scriptures so much. It's not because they're perfect or not messy or any of those things have to be, ever be ignored. No, we look into all of that. But we know it is an infallible guide to show us Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. It's the living Word. The Word incarnate, as theologians like to say, that we submit our lives to. Because the goal of the Christian life actually is not to be biblical. It is to be Christ-like. And to the degree that the scriptures teach us and show us Jesus and help us to be Christ-like, now we're reading scripture in the way that scripture needs to be read and asks to be read, actually, as we are led by the Holy Spirit. And so the word became flesh is a big idea. So what are some big ideas that come out of that? What questions does it answer? I've already kind of snuck in one big idea in this intro, if you haven't noticed that. But what are the other big ideas? What questions does word make flesh answer. I'm going to say the answer three big ones. One, word made flesh, the word became flesh, answers the question, what is a human being supposed to look like? What is a human being supposed to look like? The answer is Jesus. That's the idea. I mean, everybody has this game when you're a kid, right? You get asked, what do you want to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? I wanted to be a garbage man. Because in the 1960s, I know I'm 125 years old, in the 1960s when garbage men came by every once a week or so, they rode on the back of trucks and they were slinging around. And as a little boy, I'm like, how does it get better than that? 
how, how do you possibly find a gig better than those guys have? I want that job. And I also want to be a sports broadcaster as well. And uh, my parents were like, yes, on the second one. Anyway, uh, when, <laughs> as I grow up and I, and, I, and I learn to follow Jesus in my life, the answer becomes different. It's when I grow up, I want to be like Jesus. I mean, this is really what the Word made flesh is starting to answer for us. Is What does it mean to be human in this world in a way that is good, just, and beautiful? And Jesus is that way. He shows us a new way, the best way to be human. God takes on humanity in order to heal it. Because, let's face it, we need healing. I heard someone say once that, um, you know, Giraffes don't need help in being a giraffe. They know how to be a giraffe. And hippos and rhinos and raccoons, even raccoons. But really, seriously, God, why raccoons? I don't get that one. But they know how to be themselves. But humans don't know how to be human very good. I don't know if you've noticed. We're not really good at it. We're, We're obviously deeply wounded people. By our own choices, by the choices that have been made for us that that weren't helpful or weren't healing, but instead were traumatic. And we tend to transmit that onto others as well. We are in need of healing. And so, Christ, God in Christ, takes on humanity in order to heal us. In order to make us whole. In order to show us a new way of being human in this world that's not violent that's not retributive, that's not you scratch my back and I scratch yours, but rather a life of sacrificial love. And so the key takeaway here is the saving work of Jesus Christ actually began in Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem on Good Friday, but in Bethlehem when God slips on skin to restore the image of God within us, to renew our vision, to see that God has already and has been with us all along. And so one good question to start 2022 is, how might I human better in this year? And the answer from Jesus is always going to be the same thing he's always said, which is, follow me, follow me. Follow my path. Follow my way in this world, which is why those early followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. And they were actually given a diminutive title, kind of a disparaging title. They were called little Christs, Christians, because they were trying to say to them, you're just trying to live exactly like that person. And they would say, exactly, exactly. Please call me a little Christ. It's the best thing I could ever have. The word made flesh is Jesus coming to you today and saying, you're on a path that might be wrecking you and this world. Follow me instead. Follow my way. I want to show you what it's like to be human in this world. The second question the word made flesh answers is not just what, is it, what does it mean to be human? What is a human being supposed to look like? But secondly, what is God supposed to look like? And the answer is the same answer. Jesus. Word made flesh tells us that God is showing us who God is. Again, going back to childhood, we all have done things that our parents just couldn't believe. I grew up, as I think I've told you before, on Christmas Tree Lane, Meadowbrook Avenue, Lakeland, Florida. And for years, I would sit at the dinner table during Christmas Tree Lane during those two weeks and listen to my parents talk about the children of Satan who came along and stole the light bulbs on the Christmas trees and then threw them on the pavement to hear them pop. 
And then there was that year when I was a child of Satan. And I gave in to my friends who said, let's go outside and pop some of these lights. And my parents just think, they're like, explain yourself. We have those moments, right? Say you've had those moments. Thank you. Um, Yes. And I think that's one way of saying is that Jesus is God's explanation of God's very self. If Jesus was asked, show us God, and Jesus famously answered, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's very being. I don't know how much more explicit it could be. John says in verse 18, no one has seen him. No one has seen God until, we, until Jesus came along. And he said that to a group of people who had plenty of stories of seeing God. Abraham stories, Isaiah stories, all sorts of stories in the history of the group that John is talking to had lots of stories that said that God was seen by someone, Moses, etc. And here John is saying, you know what? All of those sightings are now subordinate to this sighting. All of them now have to cohere in what we find and what we see in Jesus. Those other sightings were kind of like guiding our way with moonlight. But now the sun is shining brightly. And we can see who God is. And God is like Jesus. And that is really, really, really good news. Because when we begin to see that, then we look at what Jesus was like. Jesus who welcomed the outsider. Jesus, who gave hospitality to the immigrant, prioritizes the poor, never turns away in the face of sinners, but moves towards them in love, tells us to love our enemies, to extend mercy, to forgive infinitely, to have compassion on the multitudes because they were harassed and helpless. Jesus, who saw people who in that time and place were erased or felt erased. Jesus, who subverted unjust structures who gave dignity to the outcasts, who told stories of God being a shepherd, who lost that one sheep, a father who receives and embraces the prodigal, Jesus, who can be trusted in our anxiety, who in the face of receiving violence and injustice and murder from humanity did not retaliate, but recycled that into love, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus, perfectly revealing the heart of God, confronts the sin of the world this way. Are you ready? I forgive you. If that's true of Jesus, it's true of God. This is what God is like. And that's really, really, really good news. Because you will never give your life and your heart to a God who is not a God of love and mercy and grace. And why would you? Why should you? To a God who knows the struggle of walking through this life that is so much a veil of tears. Who is a priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. This is who you were invited each week to give your life and heart over to. If God is like Jesus, I've heard more than one time in pastoral care. If God is like Jesus, then sign me up perhaps. I need more information, but that's something I can run with. Hmm. Why would you not? Lastly, last question. Are you ready? The word may flesh answers the question, what is life supposed to look like? 
What is life supposed to look like? If this is all true, and we've been actually singing about it quite a bit today, God with us. We're invited into a life that walks with God through our life. And all the hard things, and all of the embarrassing, shameful things that we do, and all of our regrets, and all of our triumph, and all of our tragedy, all of it. God is not afraid of any of it. And says, I am with you. You need to recognize that. I'm not going anywhere. I will not flake. I, I will not leave. I will not forsake. Jesus says those very words. Life is to be lived God with us and to believe it more fully. Stan Mitchell talked about this recently in one of his Facebook posts where he says, a pastor in Nashville, he said, the birth of Jesus was simply and straightforwardly an emphatic restatement of what had and has always been true. God can never be closer or farther from us. God is just is with us, in us, through us, beyond and above and beneath and beside and below us, defying and transcending the attempts of any and all prepositions God is and has always been and will always be inseparably one with everything. This time of year does not make that truth more real. It does, though, help us focus and see that truth more clearly and relish and enjoy it more fully. That's the life that God invites us into, a life with God. And that's hard because so much of our woundedness in this lifetime is the, is the woundedness of betrayal. It's probably the number one. It's, it could be a small case B or a higher case B or somewhere in between. Parents, caregivers, friends, a confidant, spouse, a child, a congregant, a pastor. And so it's hard for us to trust. This is why point two is so important. It's already hard enough to trust God, period. But if we can remember that God is like Jesus... And we have a chance of being able to say, yeah, I actually want to walk with God if God is that way. With me in everything. Will Gaffney writes this. She's a professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth. We do not walk alone among the shadows of earth because God is Emmanuel, God with us. In our brokenness, in our fullness, God is with us. God is with us when the bullets are flying, when the ground is shaking, when the planes are crashing, when the waters are rising, when the ship is sinking, when the winds are howling, when death is knocking, when the shadow of death stretches out and touches even Christmas. God is with us. God is with us when we are falsely accused and unjustly imprisoned. God is with us when we are raped and tortured and murdered. God is with us when our children, our precious children, are stolen from us. God is with them in their fear and horror. God is with us in our rage and sorrow and grief. God is with us. God is with the suffering and the dying, the comforting and accompanying through that valley of death that we cannot yet enter. This is the gospel. Not that we're untouchable. Not that we are inviolable. For even the Son of God was violated. But that we are never alone, never forsaken, never absent from the divine presence is the gospel of light and life. If we can just believe that, and even beyond that, experience that, what might 2022 look like? I know a lot of us look at 2022, and it's, it's fearful. I'm afraid. I get anxious as I look in the future. It's blurry to me. 
It's unsettling. This is what I need to remember at the beginning of the year. This is what I need to remember, that God is with us. Why? Why does God do this? Because God loves you. God loves us. God loves me. God loves this world. And he's going to renew all of it. In many ways, that's what Jesus is. Jesus Christ is God's love given a human face. And that love was crucified by the evil that wants to enslave us all. That love defeated death and resurrection, which is our glorious promise of liberation and freedom. It might be why you're sitting in this room right now, because you just needed to hear one sentence of what was said today. But God pursues us in love. And so let's finish this sermon. Again, quoting the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. In the end, what matters is not how good we are, but how good God is. Not how much we love Him, but how much He loves us. And God loves us, whoever we are, whatever we've done or failed to do, whatever we believe or can't. Let us pray. Gracious God, help us today to trust this word-made-flesh declaration so deeply that we would have new courage, that we would have new peace, that we'd have a renewed sense of your presence as we enter into this new year. Give us grace to believe these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.